This morning, we are going to be in Psalm 42 and 43. Um, So if you guys can make your way in your Bibles to Psalm 42, um, we will start there. You may be asking, why are we talking about two psalms instead of just one? Uh, Well, these two psalms, as you'll see, they actually really do belong together as one unit, and they do for a couple reasons. Um, One, in, in just a few Hebrew manuscripts, they're actually, they are together as just one unit, you'll see um, that Psalm 43 has no introductory title, and so it naturally just falls together as one. And the refrain that we see twice in Psalm 43 is actually at the end of Psalm 43, or twice in 42 is at the end of 43, tying everything together. But maybe the most important reason that we're just going to bring these two together this morning is because they both deal with the same subject. So let's read together Psalm 42 starting in verse 1. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep, at the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, Why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the leer, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. One of the reasons that I I love the Psalms so much is because of the raw emotion that we see in them. You know, we see exceeding joy, there's lamentation, sorrow. They go from expressing their extreme hopelessness 
up with their circumstances and then turn and show their hope and faith in God. The psalmists, they, they pour out their, their hearts into these psalms. And, and although we can read these psalms, and I'm sure that we can just relate to the emotions that they're going through, there's also another purpose with the psalms. They're also meant to instruct. And so we shouldn't just read the psalms and just try to empathize with the psalmist, but we need to look at how they go through their circumstances. We need to learn from what they're learning. And the psalms are not just here to make us feel, but they're also here to make us think. And we have a doozy of a psalm here today. Uh, we don't know exactly who the psalmist is, but um, we, it, we know that it does come from the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah, they were Levites that descended from, you probably guessed it, Korah. Um, the sons of Korah were employed in the performance of the temple music. They dedicated their entire lives um, to producing and performing music that they used to praise God. And, and we find this psalmist, whoever he was, in deep despair. He is literally at war with his own soul. We see a struggle to hold on to hope, a struggle to hold on to everything he holds dear. He says that his tears have been his food day and night. This man was so worn down, he was so distraught that, that literally anything would drive him to tears. He would stub his toe and he'd probably be crying. I mean, he was worried about himself. He was worried about what was going on around him. And we, we just, we find this man in the midst of his spiritual depression. Spiritual depression is a term for this deep sadness that affects every aspect of our lives. It goes down deep into our souls, and it's typically characterized by, by this feeling of distance from God or, or maybe just feeling forgotten or cast down. I, I don't think I can give you just a succinct definition for what spiritual depression is because it, it differs from, from every person. But I will say that you probably just you know it when you're going through it. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. So this morning, we're going to be spending some time looking at what spiritual depression is and the causes for it. But where I want to spend most of our time this morning is on how we should respond when we're in it. So my hope is that the next time you're downcast, the next time you are suffering, that you find yourself in a state like this, that you'd be able to respond more like the psalmist does here than the world does. But before we dive in, I do just want to throw out a little disclaimer. When we're talking about this this morning, when we're talking about spiritual depression, it's important for us to note that spiritual depression is different than clinical depression. Although some parts of clinical depression can have spiritual aspects to them, and, and some of the stuff that we talk about this morning, I really hope that it can help people that suffer through clinical depression. I don't want to overlook the reality that those suffering from clinical depression will often need additional tools that God has provided, such as medication and counseling. So just a little disclaimer before we get started. Okay, so let's look at four causes for spiritual depression. Now, it's important for, that we understand these causes, not just because um, it helps us to understand ourselves when we're in a state like this, but maybe more importantly, it helps us to just check in on our spiritual health 
before we even get into such a state. So the first cause for spiritual depression is spiritual dryness. The psalmist feels not only a literal, but also a spiritual separation from God. He finds himself far from Jerusalem, which as a person who makes a living singing and worshiping in the temple, he, he probably also feels this lack of purpose. But there's also this distance from God that he's sensing. Although I am sure that this man knows of God's omnipresence, he knows that God is everywhere, he still feels distance from him. You see him crying out in verse 9, Why have you forgotten me? There's still a sense that this man is struggling due to this lack of connection, this lack of communion with God. And he's thirsting for God. He knows that he needs God, and he, you see that in the first few verses, and yet he feels distant from him. Spiritual dryness is a condition that we should be cautious of. Although it's important for us to hold on to the truth that we know from Romans 8, that Paul ensures us that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation— will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. As much as it is to remember that and to hold on to that truth, we can still fall trap to feeling distant from God. But why? We can still get this sense of spiritual dryness when we fail to renew ourselves in the Spirit. As Christians, we have been given a new life, a new purpose that is outside of what we can find in this world. Ephesians 4, through 24 tells us to pour out your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to, pour, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, it reminds us how important this renewal is. It says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. But what happens if we are not allowing the Holy Spirit to work and to renew ourselves daily? What happens if we cut ourselves off from the spiritual food that God has gifted us with his word, prayer, worship, what happens when we distance ourselves from God? When we fail to remind ourselves of his promises? When we fail to commune with our loving Father? What happens is we get a spiritual drought. And if we are not being renewed, we are left just with ourselves in this world, and we know that it's wasting away. Second cause for spiritual depression Taunts from a world of unbelievers. The psalmist finds himself in a distant land surrounded by unbelievers who are taunting him for believing and putting his hope in God. And now these, these taunts clearly hurt him pretty bad because he repeats it twice. In verse 3 and verse 10, it says, They say to me all the day long, Where is your God? Now in the ancient world, it's pretty unlikely that these people around him would be atheists. Atheism came around with Greek 
philosophy, so these people around him probably believe in a God, just not the God that this psalmist believes. And these taunts clearly emphasize just how badly this man's circumstances were. His life looks so bad, things have gone so wrong for him, that to an outsider, because of the way that he's so downcast, the way he's so upset, it just looks like his God has completely forgotten him. Think of it this way. You wouldn't go up to someone who's smiling and happy, happy, and you wouldn't be like, hey, where's your God? It looks like he's abandoned you. It wouldn't make any sense. But this man is surrounded by people who don't believe in the same God that he does, and they are taunting him because it looks like God has just left him there. We don't live in a Christian society Although it's more socially acceptable to be a Christian in the United States than, say, Eastern Asia, we are constantly surrounded by people who are against our beliefs. In the United States today, believing and speaking out on Christian views on things such as marriage or sexuality or abortion can label a Christian as unloving, backwards, old-fashioned, hypocritical, Although we know those taunts aren't true, it has led some Christians to crack under that pressure and change their beliefs in their God just to conform to the way that the world views it. Regardless, the constant surrounding of people who believe that your views are wrong, that your God is not the true God, and can cause anyone to be brought down. Being surrounded by people who doubt you all the time can lead you to doubt. I, we know that it shouldn't happen, but we know that it does. The psalmist, although he is showing great faithfulness in these psalms, he shows a moment of weakness. He's being taunted by these unbelievers who are saying, where's your God? And finally, he lets out, he says, God, why have you forgotten me? Like, don't you know that I'm here, that I'm struggling? Where are you right now? Third cause for spiritual depression. The overwhelming trials of life. We don't know exactly what has befallen this psalmist, but we do know that it has been overwhelming. Not only is he far from Jerusalem and being taunted and oppressed by his enemies, but we also see him say it in verse 7, says, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. There seems to be situation after situation that are just haunting this man. He can't seem to make it to his feet before another wave comes crashing over him. He, he gets up, and it feels like he's regaining his balance, and then another wave comes in and knocks him over. And he's drowning, and he's drowning in his sorrow and in his pain. Far too often when we find ourselves in a state like this, it's because initially something has triggered it. And far too often, it's not just one event, it's not just one circumstance, but it's one after another. And something so significant that we're just overwhelmed with the trial that it brings. Overwhelmed with the emotional toll that it takes on our heart, and it leads us to sorrow. 
And a lot of times when we're in this state, we, any little thing, anything that gets piled on is just unbearable. Now the fourth cause, and really the ultimate cause for spiritual depression that we're going to be talking about this morning, is unbelief. To some extent, if we are in a state of spiritual depression, it is because there is some sort of unbelief in our hearts. We, if we are able to hold on to the hope that God has given us, if we're living in this world, if we're not able to believe and accept the sovereign love of God, then we have to work out that unbelief in our hearts. If there is no unbelief, then there is no way that we can be swallowed up by such a feeling like this. If there is no unbelief, there is no way that the enemy can twist and can manipulate our circumstances to take us to the world instead of bringing us to God. If there is no unbelief, there can't be any spiritual depression. If we find ourselves spiritually depressed, we need to first look at our hearts and find out where our unbelief is. It's really easy to get caught up in our own circumstances and in the events that have troubled us. Or to look around the world and look for what the world can give us. Giving up all focus that should be on our loving Father who gives us all the hope that we could ever need. But if there is ever a hope to understand why we are feeling the way that we do, then we need to understand where the unbelief is in our own heart. So there are the four causes of spiritual depression that we can draw from this text. And I'm sure there are probably more, but we can just summarize them this way. You know, there's this internal emotional weight that we feel that's bearing on our souls. There's these overwhelming external events. And most significantly, there's this unbelief that has a hold of our heart. So have you ever been here? Are you there now? Does it feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders? Do you feel distance from God? Does it feel like he just doesn't want anything to do with you? Or maybe you just don't want anything to do with him right now. Do you feel like he hasn't been there for you? Are you so overwhelmed by your circumstances that literally anything that happens is driving you to tears? These two psalms are very dear to my heart. A lot of you guys know this, um, but Grace had a miscarriage this past February. And honestly, I don't think we could have ever foresaw the emotional weight that this was going to bring on both of us. It's obviously not something you prepare for, but the toll that it takes to, to just know that you're never going to meet your child and it died... that you're never going to see them grow up. I mean, it's just more than you can ever imagine. And don't get me wrong, the loss is significant, but that's not what we're here to talk about today. The loss, it, it, just, dro that it just drove me into a similar state to the psalmist. I mean, I was thrust into the thick of a spiritual depression. 
I have never felt such a dryness in my life ever before, to be honest. There were moments that I was pouring my heart out to God, and, and there was others I just I did not want to talk to him. There is this distance that I manufactured, um, and walls that I put up in, in the, the effort to, to hope to just heal from that, and that just prevented it, really. I was either a second away from tears at any given moment, or I was completely cut off from all emotion entirely. I don't often get a chance to preach to you guys on Sunday mornings, but when I do, um, I try my best to just pour out my heart. I want you to know that this text, God's word, is moving in my heart just as much as anyone else is here this morning. This one is obviously a little different than most for me, but through each and every sermon that I've preached, God has been working out that truth in my heart. And so that's what he's doing again here today. He is working right now. Um, as we speak, because oh, how I wish that I would have had these two psalms seven months ago. Oh, how I wish I would have responded to my spiritual depression like the psalmist did. Because the reality is that we will all, we all might find ourselves in a situation like this, a state like this, at some point in our lives. Because we all come across hard times, we all suffer. We all experience loss. We all experience sorrow. That's reality. We're not meant for for just this perfect, happy ending to this life. And what we need to focus on is how we respond to it, how we respond to our suffering. So how do we respond to spiritual depression? How do we respond if we find ourselves in this state? The psalmist is a fantastic example of this. So let's turn our attention now to five responses to spiritual depression. Number one, seek God first. The very first thing that the psalmist does is seek God The first two verses of Psalm 42 is this. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Just as a deer needs water, this psalmist knows that he needs God. God is the very thing that the psalmist needs to live on. Without God, he just knows that there is nothing in the world that can satisfy him. And and what's crazy, here he is in his turmoil, waves breaking over him, enemies taunting him. He is beat down. He is distraught. He is in despair. And the first thing he does, he doesn't pray for relief from his circumstances. He doesn't say, hey, God, get me out of here first. Like, don't you see that I'm suffering? Don't you see where I'm at? Get me out of here. But he knows that God can remove him from this very situation. He knows that with the snap of his fingers, his mood could be lifted, despair can be gone, and he can be right there with God. But what makes this so beautiful and so crucial for us this morning is that he is not thirsting mainly for relief, from his threatening circumstances. He is not thirsting mainly for escape 
from his enemies or for their destruction. He starts off by saying, hey, God, I need you. God, I need you first. Just as a deer needs water, God, I need you. Now, it's not wrong to pray for relief from a situation. It's not wrong to pray that your enemies be brought to justice. But what is more important than any of that is God. And the psalmist has the wisdom to know that. The psalmist knows that any relief that comes to him in his circumstances without God is just meaningless. If he needs to be underwater and drowning to know that God, then that's what he wants. If he needs the waves breaking over him if he, to experience God in all of his glory, then that's where he wants to be. So that's what we need to remember. When we find ourselves suffering, when we find ourselves in distress, in our sorrows, the first thing we need to do is seek God. Put yourself under the loving mercy and grace of your Father. Rest in his love and in his peace. Seek him first. Second response to spiritual depression. Remember God in past experiences. In his troubles, the psalmist recalls God in past experiences. He draws on his memories of God working. And he draws on moments of worship. We see this in verse 4. He starts to say, These things I remember as I pour out my soul. What's he remembering here? Oh, he's remembering a worship service. It says, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Some of us here may have grown up with a shallow understanding of, what, and of the significance of what is happening right here, right now, in this moment. The meaning of corporate worship that goes on from about 1030 to 12 each Sunday morning here at Gateway, this isn't a small thing. This isn't an insignificant thing or a human thing. For this psalmist, the meeting with people in the temple of God was simply massive. Think of it this way. If nothing more was happening here this morning than me just giving your brain a little bit more information, if nothing more was happening this morning when we were singing up here was than satisfying your need for entertainment, for singing, then the psalmist would never have done what he just did. It would be nostalgia. I mean, nostalgia's fine, but it's just not going to help you. It's not going to do anything to you when you're suffering. You're spiritually depressed. I mean, if you're suffering, you say, you remember that one time we went to the Browns game and they won? Like, it was great. It was awesome. I mean, it's not going to do anything to you when you're suffering. I mean, maybe it depends on how big of a Browns fan you are, but that will be fleeting regardless. When you have the waves breaking over for you, when, when, you have, when you are just so down and distraught because of the weight of your circumstances, nostalgia doesn't do anything. So that's not what he was doing here. 
So the only reason that he would say that he remembers going to the procession into the house of God is because God is real there. Because God is at work there. And that helps us. So remember God. Because remember how he works right here, right now. Because I know I will. I, I mean, I remember when, when, I can't just, when I can't muster up the words in worship to sing in the mornings because of what's going on. I mean, I hear your voices cascade over me with a valiant assurance. And I remember that. I remember people coming up here on the stage proclaiming their faith in Jesus and getting baptized right here. I remember God's word piercing my heart on Sunday mornings giving me just what I need. And I hope you don't come to these services thinking that it's just some religious tradition because God is here. I mean, people literally pass from death to life here. Saints are made strong here. The Spirit is at work here. We praise our God here. And so when you are down when you are suffering, you need to remember how God has worked in your life. You have to remember the way that he works because it, it's, it feels sometimes that God is not there, but you have to remember the ways that he is. Third response in our spiritual depression. Praise God. Oh, to be like this man in our suffering, right? Verse 8, uh, it says, by, by day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. Well, what does this mean? It means that, that while he's in his despair, these tears rolling down his face at night, he is singing his praises to the God, singing a prayer to the God of his life. Over the past year or so here at Gateway, uh, many of you have probably noticed we have been expanding our musical catalog. We've been introducing new songs into worship. But why? Why would we be doing that? Well, one of the reasons why is because we need to have a broad enough musical catalog for circumstances like this. I mean, it's not all forever rain and great are you, Lord. Sometimes we just need a song for being downcast. Um, Grace had the miscarriage on a Friday, and the very next Sunday, we introduced a brand new song here at Gateway. It was planned already, and it was planned to be introduced for three weeks after that. Um, and it's a song that we actually sang this morning called Whatever My God Ordains Is Right. And I mean, that song has just cut deep in my heart over the past seven months. I mean, talk about God's providence. And just a little tangent, because it was while we're on the topic of God's providence, that same Sunday, I was teaching an apologetics course. I don't know if you guys remember. And that, that Sunday was the third lesson, and it was on how we can, in our suffering, how in all the suffering in the world, how we can still believe and know that there is a God. And so leading up to that week, I was preparing the sermon, or the, the teaching, and so entire week I was preparing on how I can believe in God through suffering, and it happens on Friday. 
And all day Saturday, I was preparing how I can teach that. I mean, that's just crazy. But back to the song. So the song, Whatever My God Ordains is Right, has haunted me in the best of ways ever since that day. I mean, it has been the song that it's driven me to tears. It's lifted me up. It has brought me down to my knees. I mean, and it's, it's not a jubilant song. Like, it's not. It's not a happy song, but it's a song that we need from time to time. I mean, we just do. Let's just look at some of the lyrics from the song. This is from verse 2. It says, Whatever my God ordains is right, he will never, never, he never will deceive me. He leads me by the proper path. I know he will not leave me. I take content what he has sent. His hand can turn my griefs away, and patiently I wait his day. And patiently I wait his day. Another popular song that we turn to in times like this is, It is well with my soul. Whatever we turn to, it is just important that we do not forget to praise God. And it's not always happy and joyful praising. I mean, this psalmist, he was not cheerful. He was not cheerfully praising God. Um, But that didn't stop him from praising him. Because I know that the very last thing you want to do sometimes in your struggles and in your suffering is to turn and praise God. But we need to do it. We need to be able to praise God through our suffering. Fourth response to spiritual depression. Affirm God's sovereign love. In the midst of his discouragement, in the midst of his despair, in in his suffering, this psalmist does not fail to affirm God's sovereign love for him. That's really important for us to grasp here this morning. Even though he isn't feeling it, even though he is struggling, he is still able to affirm that God is sovereign and loves him. Where do we see that? Well, it's actually scattered all over the place through these psalms. Verse 8 again, By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. In the refrain, we see him saying, God is my salvation, my God. In verse 9, he calls God his rock. But what is most incredible, one of the most incredible things here is his wisdom on God's sovereignty. In verse 7, he says, Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. He's saying, God, it's your breakers. God, it's your waves that have gone over me. It's not the devil's breakers. It's not the devil's waves. It's not my enemy's breakers or my enemy's waves. God, it is your breakers. It is your waves that have gone over me. And he knows that God, in the snap of his fingers, he can dispense all of this. And, but he affirms that God is in control of absolutely everything. That God is sovereign and loves him deeply. And he is still his rock. Although there is suffering, God is in control. And this is hard but it is so important for us to take hold of. Because it doesn't matter if it's a miscarriage or if it's criticism that you received, if you lost your job or if you lost a friend. 
Because whatever you are going through, it is completely and entirely under God's sovereign love for you. So don't lose heart. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18 says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Whatever you're going through, no matter how horrible it might seem, no matter how hard it is to get through this very moment, right now it is preparing you for an eternal weight of glory. And not only is your affliction momentary in the light of eternity, but it is completely and totally meaningful. There is a purpose for what God is doing, and there is a reason. And just because you can't see it, that doesn't mean he's not in control or that he doesn't love you. So in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our despair and our sorrow, it is essential that we affirm God's sovereign love. Fifth and final response that we're going to talk about today to spiritual depression is preach to yourself. This is one of the most important things that we can learn to do. This last response comes from the refrain, and we, we see it three times throughout these two psalms. We find the psalmist basically talking to himself. He says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. In preparation for this sermon, I was reading a book from, by Martin Lloyd-Jones called Spiritual Depression. Uh, it's, a, it's a good book. I highly recommend it. I have not uh, been through the entire book uh, yet, but from what I have read, it is, it's a good book. It's basically a collection of his sermons. Um, over, I think there's 20 sermons that um, are on this topic. And in reading that book, he emphasizes this point in a paragraph in the book, so I'm just going to read it for you because I think he can say it better than I can. It reads this. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they are talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday. Somebody is talking, but who is talking? Well, yourself is talking to you. Now, this man's treatment in Psalm 42 was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, he asks. His soul had been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, Self, listen for a moment, I will speak to you. I mean, this psalmist's soul has been crushed, but he knows better. Like He knows the truth, and, then, and so he preaches it to himself. Why are you cast down? Don't you know that it doesn't make any sense to be cast down? You need to hope in God. Like, seek God. Love God. He has the truth that you need to hold on to. So do you do that? I mean, do you listen to yourself or do you preach to yourself? 
a lot of people are wired in a way where their self-talk is defeatist. All it does is give them a lot of bad news all day long. I mean, it's basically a constant reminder that just things are just not going to work out, that uh, they're going to fail, uh, that they're not enough, they keep screwing up, and that nothing's going to get better. I mean, that's just defeating. And that's why we really shouldn't let those thoughts gain traction in our minds, and we shouldn't let them affect our hearts. Because we know that it's not the truth. And we need to be centered on the truth, and we need to be centered on God's truth. So we preach to ourselves. And so what do we preach to ourselves? Well, on this side of the cross, if you are a Christian, we preach the gospel to ourselves. If you, if you are a Christian, you have the greatest hope in the world to hope, hold on to, no matter what is going on. You say, self, you know, if, if God is for you, then who could be against you? Say, self, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also give him graciously, uh, get, graciously give us all things? Self, don't you know that grace, that God's grace is sufficient for you? Self, don't you know that you have been justified by the blood of Jesus Christ and that you are enough? Because Jesus is enough. Self, don't you know that God has given you not a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control? We see the psalmist asking God in Psalm 43 to let his light and his truth lead him. God's promises, his truth, should center us, should lead us through our joy, through our sorrow, through our pain and our triumphs. We need to be centered on God's truth. So if you're in the midst of this, remember how the psalmist responds. When you feel that your soul is downcast, that you are overwhelmed by the weight of this world, the weight of your circumstances, when your head is there and you know the truth, but your heart just hasn't caught up yet, remember to seek God first above everything and anything. Remember what God has done for you. Remember his power, the way that he has worked in your heart, in your lives. Remember who he is and praise him. Affirm his sovereign love for you and just make sure your soul knows it, knows the truth and preach it to yourself. And if you do all those things, does that mean that you're going to get a happy ending? Does it mean that your, joy, that your sorrows will be lifted from you right that moment and that your pain will be gone? Unfortunately, the answer to that is no. At least not yet in this world, in this life. I mean, when we see the psalmist here um, and at the end of Psalm 43, he's still in the midst of his struggle. I mean, he's still preaching truth to himself. He's still going through it. But what's great is that what he is going through, he can have confidence in that God is completely and entirely there with him. And so that's what we have to do. So we have to have faith, and we shouldn't lose heart. Let's pray.
Father, we, we thank you for this text this morning um, and the way that you allow it to speak to our hearts. We thank you for the psalmist. And um, as, as crazy as it sounds, we thank you for bringing him trials because we have been able to learn from them. And we thank you for the faithfulness that you have, that you were allowed him to have. God, we pray that as we go through suffering, that we go through trials in this life, that you would help us not to feel overwhelmed by the weight of them, but you would have us see the weight of your glory in eternity, God, and focus on your truth in that. God, we pray that you would lift our hearts and our sorrows. God, that you would have us have a heart for you first. That you would allow us to seek you above everything, God, and that you would be enough. That we wouldn't even need relief just knowing that what we're going through, God, it is okay because you are there. So, God, I just pray that, that you would bring comfort and peace to our heart with your hearts this morning with your truth. It's in Christ's glorious name we pray. Amen.